0: pray with me as we continue in worship. Lord God, I'm so grateful for the chances to be here together as a church family, just to celebrate this Easter season together. Lord, I pray that your presence would just continue to be thick in this place, that anything that's of me would be quickly forgotten this morning, and that anything that's of you would stick to our hearts and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We are starting a new series this morning called Victory in Jesus, and it's a very appropriate over Easter to be talking about the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Um, I might need some, let's see. No, there we go. And this Easter season, we get to, again, celebrate the victory of Jesus conquering sin and death. And, you know, we do this every year, but I think we kind of move past Easter a little too quickly. I think Christmas gets so much attention. Guys, this is like the highlight of the Christian like, calendar. We are moving towards Easter, the day that Jesus came and gave his life and then conquered death. We celebrate, sorry, yeah. Yeah, we. you know what? Let's forget it. That's all right. Well, let's go to this one. <laughs> we celebrate what the victory means for our lives and our eternal destiny, which is powerful. That You're awesome, man. Thank you. All right, and these are some of the verses that just came to mind as we were thinking about victory in Jesus. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I was thinking, this is why I wake up, you know, we wake up every morning with truths like this, feeling like every morning's a victory, right? Isn't that how you pop off the pillow every morning like yeah I'm a winner <laughs> like I mean, I mean I don't know about you like Ricky Bobby right like you just feel like you just from the morning you get up excellence just oozes out of everything you do no I, I think the reality is or is it more true that truths like this often feel far from our day-to-day experience now let me be clear it's very true about our reality but sometimes it feels far from what we experience day-to-day And so why is that? Why do we feel so far from Jesus' victory? First of all, I think we need to be reminded by how Jesus brings victory. It's not the standard way of victory in the world. There was a power at the time that was conquering people and declaring victory everywhere they went. Jesus had a more roundabout way to victory, victory through the cross. And it felt like defeat, not even up to the moment but beyond the moment. In the days that happened, it felt like his greatest triumph felt pretty crushing to those who were following him. And the victory was only slowly revealed, right? There was a great reveal, and he started to claim victory. And just like this in our own lives, it may not feel like victory initially in our lives either. This victory that has been declared over our lives is a process to start to take hold of. And really, we're gonna talk about the victory that's already been won, but we need to learn how to live in it. So how do we learn to live in victory that has been declared over us? This morning, we're gonna talk about victory over shame, guilt, guilt, and condemnation Three really light topics just to roll out your, your April with, right? Like, we're just going to kind of dive into the shallow end here with uh, shame, guilt, and condemnation. Um, and so it really, like, I wanted to tell a story about, uh, some of you may have heard this story before. I'm, I'm in a rare form this morning. Some of you may have heard this story before, but um, in high school, I, I had this, really, you know, we were like, I don't know if this was really, really going to date me, but the movie Scream had just come out on DVD. I know, that the first one, not like the eighth or the ninth. But, like, and, like, my friends were getting together to watch it one night, and we were watching this scary movie. We had to go to, like, a Blockbuster to rent it. You guys don't even know what I'm talking about. But, like, we were watching this movie, and I had a couple friends who had a curfew, and I ended up driving them home. And I had this great idea that I was going to sneak back to the house where all my friends were still watching Scream And I was just going to scare them to death. Like, this is going to be epic. I parked down the street. I crept through the bushes. I came up to the house. His parents weren't home. So I knew it would just be them, and I could kind of, like, intimidate and scare them without consequence-free. I was really looking forward to this. And so I started kind of just doing little slight intimidation, scratching at the windows, circling the house with, like, a stick, dragging the stick along the (laughs) side of the house. Little by little, I saw, like, different lights coming on in the house. I saw, like, windows being opened, and I just kind of, this kind of inspired me even more. I kept circling the house, making more and more noise, kind of, like, started trying door handles like I was coming in, and I I hear talking going on inside the house, like, look, there it is, there it is, I see see someone in the bushes. I'm like, oh, this is epic, this is awesome. And so I finally come up for the big reveal, and there's this older couple in the doorframe saying, we called the police, we called the police, and I kind of, like, looked for my bearings, I'm at the wrong house. At midnight, I am intimidating and harassing an older couple that I don't know. This is actually happening right now. And so I was like, I just, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. And like, we called the police, we called the police. And that moment of like, I need to apologize turned to, I better get out of here like now. so I am sprinting down the street as fast as I can to my car and I'm pulling out the neighborhood as police cars come into the neighborhood. And I did not go back to that friend's house, I kid you not, for two years. <laughs> because I was so afraid I'd run into the neighbors and they would recognize me as the guy who literally hurt, terrorized them one night for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> I don't know about you, but like, there's, whenever you're caught in doing something wrong, and I've done far worse things than far, far stupider things in reality. But like, there's this moment of like sheer Oh, man, guilt, right? Like, you know you've done something wrong. I, yeah, we've all been there. We've all terrorized older people on purpose, right? I mean, like, I mean, I mean, you know exactly how that feels. No. But, like, this moment of, like, what have I just done? Oh, my gosh. And then the shame of, like, I, I was so afraid. Like, this is, this is not who I am. I am not a person who terrorizes random strangers. I was trying to terrorize friends. That's much better. It's much better. You know, I want to explain it away. Like, this is not, this is not me. And then, of course, knowing that the condemnation that the police was coming, I was ready to just okay, I got to get out of here. <laughs> like I wanted to distance myself as much from the mess as I had created as possible. And it's funny; this is a kind of a funny anecdote, but we do this on all kinds of levels in how we deal with guilt, shame, and condemnation. You know, the reality is that we, you know, the reason that we feel this way, the reason that we feel the weight of these things, is the reality is we are guilty. We are sinful creatures. Like, we, we all carry an immense amount of guilt because we've done a lot wrong in our lives. We have guilt to carry. You know, this leads us to feeling ashamed of our actions, but it also starts to weigh into our identity. We start to feel, like, shamed of who we are. And we feel the weight of condemnation in our lives because whether... Other people are judging us or we are just judging ourselves because we know that we kind of created a mess and we feel that weight of condemnation in ourselves. I want to be clear. This is different than conviction. When I talk about shame, guilt, condemnation, it's different than conviction. Conviction is something that the Lord lays on our heart to kind of turn us from our sin to say like, to kind of like bring awareness to us. What conviction does, it's very, very important distinction. Conviction is from God and points us towards God. When we feel convicted about something, we don't flee the consequence of it, we actually kind of move towards God's presence in the midst of conviction. Conviction brings us back to the foot of the cross to deal with our things. But shame hides, like in the garden. Shame says, I want no part of the kind of meeting with God that comes on the other side of this. So we're gonna be addressing the things that cause us to hide. Shame causes hiding and isolation from God. And it kind of works in this really interesting way. You know, guilt is something that kind of comes into our life. And as guilt over our actions sinks deeper into our identity, it kind of leads to this thing that we call shame. And shame is interesting because as our self-worth erodes, it leads to farther hiding and isolation. So you know, guilt leads us to feel shame about who we are, not just what we've done, but we start to feel shame over who we are. And in that, when we start to feel shame of who we are, We start to hide a little bit more. We don't want people to know our story. We don't want people to know what we've been through. We don't want them to know what we've done. We start to create a little distance between people in our lives and from God when we live in shame. And this kind of leads to this feeling of condemnation. And the reality is, if it's self-condemnation is there, if you feel condemned in yourself, you will feel condemned wherever you go, regardless of whether those people are actually judging you or not. If you feel condemned in your own self, you will feel that everywhere you go. And here's the reality. Condemnation often leads to refuge in the very behaviors that we are ashamed of. When we feel isolated and alone, this is where addiction forms, guys. We feel we just need to escape that feeling. And so whatever it is that helps you escape that feeling, whether it's pornography or alcohol or drugs or even just your anger, that anger that you kind of revert back to because it's your safe place, you end up blowing up in anger again. And here's what happens. You feel guilty about that explosion. You feel guilty about that relapse. You feel guilty about falling down. that, And then this guilt leads to shame. And wait, didn't I just say that? It's a circle, right? And it feeds itself. And it feeds itself. And then the reality is it's not just a circle. It's actually a shame spiral. As we feel the weight of these things, we start to kind of spiral downhill. And we get farther from God and we get farther from people as we cycle down and down and down. And it's kind of this dangerous thing. And here's the reality is this is how we live in defeat in our lives. We live in defeat when we kind of buy into the shame circle and we allow it, the shame spiral, and we allow it to just kind of control us. Guys, it's a devastating, soul-crushing way to live. And it is not what God intended for us. This is not conviction. None of this is what God wanted for our lives. This is something that we have given into, and it's really what the devil has planted As an evil way to separate us from God. So how does Jesus deal with our shame, guilt, and condemnation? I'm going to take us through a few different stories that really demonstrates, I think, how God addresses these things very specifically. And guys, Jesus is incredible in the way that he interacts with people. But I want you to know this is not one-time isolated incidents that Jesus has had with someone. This is the Father's heart towards you and towards me. And if we were in the same situations, this is what he wants to express about himself. Jesus came to this earth to demonstrate because they were missing God. We were missing him. We were misunderstanding his heart. And he said, I will put on flesh and I will live his heart out and I will interact with people the way they were meant to be interacted with. And so when we look at these stories, we should feel the weight and the power of them. In John 8, He deals with condemnation in a very powerful way. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. A few things. One of the most disturbing things about this story is the low view of, like of, of the value of a person in this. This woman is a real, living, breathing person who has maybe deep-seated pain and deep-seated wounds, and she's used as a trap for Jesus. Isn't that just like kind of a disturbing start? Like, it, you know, the whole idea was to kind of get Jesus in a tough place where they could kind of pin something on him, and they didn't care who they railroaded to get there. And you find this in a lot of different ways, like, they drugged the woman out, the man's nowhere to be found, right? The whole situation was just kind of a, a trap to put Jesus in a tough spot. And they didn't care. They didn't care about this woman feeling condemned in front of every, maybe brought up in front of a crowd in, various, in a state of undress. We don't know what situation she was in. But she's put on the spot in front of everyone with her guilt displayed for all to see. And Jesus starts drawing on the ground. And this is such an interesting thing. There's a lot of people have debated what's Jesus doing in this moment, right? Like, I mean, maybe a lot of people think maybe he's writing the sins of all the other people who were out there so that they saw it. You know, I honestly think it doesn't matter what he was writing because I think the curiosity of it all is that they all were trying to figure out what he was writing. You know, and what happens is it takes the attention off of this woman who's in full exposed place. And all eyes are kind of like, what is Jesus doing down there? And that is, I think, the heart of Jesus at his core that says, like, I will take the shame and the attention, the condemnation that's on you, I will put this moment on me to bear the weight of it so that you don't have to feel that in that moment. But he starts drawing on the ground to draw the attention. He has such, such a heart for her dignity in that moment that he draws on the ground. You know, the reality is we all deserve condemnation, and this is what Jesus points out to the crowd. You want to condemn this woman, who among you is without sin? Guys, like this is just a powerful moment. This is only a foretaste of the gift that Jesus will give. How does he deal with condemnation ultimately? He dies on a cross. He takes the the penalty that was due. But in this moment, he widens the gaze and says, you too. we all are in this, you are all in this boat together. You're probably trying to pin this woman up here to separate you from her, to say that she's worse than you, to say that she deserves something different than you. But you all stand accused and you're all condemned. And in that, there should be no shame between each other because you all need me. I'm the only one who can deal with this. This is Jesus in this moment aware of this in a way that the crowd is not. Another little vignette of Jesus, another story. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to, they said to himself, I love, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him. First of all, I love that. So this man says something to himself. I don't know if he's muttering it under his breath, if he's just thinking it, but it's got to be a little disconcerting when you're thinking something and someone answers you. <laughs> right? Like, so he's thinking this thing, and Jesus answers him. And they're like, wait, what? Um, Jesus answers him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. "'One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. "'Neither of them had the money to pay him back, "'so he forgave the debts of both. "'Now which of them will love him more?' "'Simon replied, "'I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. "'You've judged correctly,' Jesus said. "'Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, "'Do you see this woman? "'I came into your house. "'You did not give me any water for my feet, "'but she wet my feet with her tears "'and wiped them with her hair. "'You did not give me a kiss.' But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. A couple things that are powerful and important to point out about the story a woman who had lived a sinful life. This is what she's known as. What we say about shame, you start to identify yourself as the sins that you've committed. This woman was living in shame. The cow knew her as a woman who sin, lived a sinful life. The guy's muttering under his own breath. If Jesus knew who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, clearly he's not a prophet. right? This is, her identity is in the weight of her mistakes at this moment. Jesus wants no part of that. He wants no part of that. That is not who she is. He lifts her up as the example to be modeled after to the crowd around herself. And he points out this. We all have a great debt. Now, here's the question. And I think this is an important thing for people to realize. Did the woman have a debt of 500 and Simon had a debt of 50? I would say the debt was equal to all. One of them was aware of the debt that they owed. And the other had a lot of self-indulgence about how good he had kind of, you know, he kind of thought God maybe owed him a few things here and there. We all carry a great debt. We either live in awareness of the debt that God has paid for us, or we miss it and we kind of feel entitled to things, right? But we all carry that weight. Jesus is telling a whole crowd, you all have a great debt on you. And you can do one, instead of letting that be the weight that crushes you, you should live in gratitude gratitude. And that should influence the way that you live. Like, our ability to love is linked to our understanding of forgiveness, right? It's not just that the person who's been forgiven more is able to love more. It's the person who's aware of the depth and the weight of their sin is so gracious for what they've been forgiven from that love just bounds out of them. Grace flows out of them. They've been forgiven for so much that they were so eager to forgive someone else. This woman was closer to the kingdom of God, not because she had sinned more, but because she was aware of how indebted to Jesus she was, and she was so grateful for it. And that grace poured out in the sense that she poured expensive oil on his feet, perfume on his feet. She lowered himself to serve him. Guys, we need to be stripped of our own self-indulgence to say, like, yes, we all should be like that woman, able to love in that way. Our ability to love is linked to our understanding of forgiveness. One more. Dealing with guilt. This is Jesus going to the cross. This is just baffling to me that he's literally dying for our sin in this moment when he has this conversation. Right? He's on a cross with two people on either side of him, and one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. There's guilt, and I am guilty, he's saying. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Three men on a cross, two were very guilty. One was purely innocent. This powerful picture, the contrast of dealing with guilt, one person rails against the guilt and says, like, why don't you flex your power and save us right here? Another man cries out for mercy. He says, God, have mercy on me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. No chance to clean up his mess. No chance to get it right. No chance to kind of go and make atonement for all those things. Just mercy. Just have mercy on me. And Jesus' response to all three is fascinating. I just want to highlight the three responses that he has to the different people. These are the, the ways the story ends on all three. These are the lines they end on. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You are free to not have to live in that old identity anymore. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Live in peace. You, the inner turmoil that these people were living in, he says, don't carry that with you anymore. You're free. Go in peace. Be free to love and to leave your life of sin. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Your eternity is secure. Because these are the statements that people walk out differently from this. And these are the truths that we have the opportunity to live in. These are truths about our lives, that we have been freed from sin. We've been found innocent, even though we knew we were clearly guilty. We've been invited to peace. And we have our eternity secure for us. This is the gift of Jesus that he's Paid for with his own blood. So how do we take hold of this? How do we live free of guilt and shame and condemnation? You know, Jesus doesn't need our guilt to keep us in line. I think this is one of the greatest tragedies of how the Christian faith is pursued, is is, is viewed by the world. That guilt's a byproduct of following Christ. Right? Oh, I have that old, good old-fashioned Catholic guilt. How often have you heard that? No, it has a deep, deep deep misunderstanding of the heart of Jesus Christ. That is a deep misunderstanding. And I'm not saying the Catholic, I'm saying people who say that, we have a deep misunderstanding of that, right? He doesn't need our guilt to keep us in line. That's not how he motivates us. Fear of doing wrong, fear of being judged, fear of letting God down, that's not motivating. That's just heaping and shaming. You know, what's motivating is when we are safe, secure in our identity, and free, love will flow out of who we are. Because you were built a very specific way. Did you know you were made in the image of God? And you resemble all of God's qualities. We choke them out when we kind of heap guilt and shame and we live differently from the Father. And what he wants is to throw those shackles off to bring us back to what we were created to be. Who love will naturally flow out of who we were built to be. You were built to embody the Father's love. And when we're safe, when we're secure in our identity, and when we're free those things start to be rekindled in us love is rekindled in us we are children of god we resemble the image of the father so what does it look like to break this guilt and shame like spiral right well first of all with guilt it starts to look like this jesus exchanges our guilt for his righteousness we need to live in an awareness that we are forgiven yes you are guilty but you know it's more true than your guilt how forgiven you are. Jesus Christ went to great lengths to make sure that we didn't have to carry this guilt with us anymore. What's true about you is that you've been made righteous by Jesus Christ. By no work of your own is a free gift. And in this, that means that our identity is no longer in our sin or our mistakes. That identity has been cast off. We are given a new identity as a child of God. Our guilt no longer defines us. I am not The teenage guy who terrorized old people in that neighborhood—that is not what I did. I mean, it's what I did, but God forgave me. Our identity is is new. Here's the thing: I carried a lot of weight and condemnation in my life. I carried a lot. Like I said, I did a lot of dumb things, but something powerful happened to me when I was 16, and I went to a young life camp, and for the first time, I really understood the gospel message. And all of a sudden, I didn't just kind of like dread the morning where the like, alarm would go off and I have to go through my routines anymore. But I was given a different purpose and a different outlook on life. And we can drift sometimes from the initial calling, but we, got a new, we get a new identity, a new purpose. We are no longer defined by the mistakes we've made. We're now a follower of Jesus Christ, and that changes everything. And Jesus was condemned in our place to free us from any condemnation. It's what we celebrate this season. Gratitude moves us closer to God, and we can move closer to others without fear. As we start to live in the freedom that God offers, the spiral starts to be a little bit different, doesn't it? I can share with you stupid things I did when I was younger. I could share with you stupid things I did yesterday. And the reality is I did, like, right? But here's the thing. I know if I'm honest with myself, I'm not defined by those things anymore. And so I can be vulnerable, and I can be real, and we can have genuine relationship and conversation where we can say, yeah, I've made that mistake too. Let's talk about that. Let's get healthy in that together. How do we move towards God in this? And the spiral starts to be broken, doesn't it? Instead of shame kind of leading to hiding, we bring out vulnerability and realness, and we present, we bring those things to the cross. We bring those things to God, and we start to say, God, forgive me. I want to be closer to you in this. And here's the thing, as we start to become closer to God, as he starts to change our identity, we are less likely to fall into the very activities that led us to sin in the first place. The cycle starts to spiral upwards. And we know what this is. This is how we live in victory. We start to take hold of the reality and the truth that is already true about us. We start to live in it. doesn't mean not having a conscious, we're not dealing with the consequences of our actions. That is not what it means. Like, oh, sweet, I'm forgiven, I can just kind of go consequence-free. It means we can face people from a place of being safe. It means we can face the consequences of our actions without fear. We can ask for forgiveness and be forgiven. We can forgive others even when they don't ask us, right? Like, we can, our lives have a different trajectory now. It means taking steps to remove shame, guilt, and condemnation from our lives. Some of you need to probably are feeling the weight of something right now that you need to ask forgiveness for, either from the Father or from someone in your life or both. But there's freedom in those things. It's not your identity anymore. Jesus gives you a new identity, and there's freedom in asking for forgiveness. We no longer have to live with the burden of the shame, condemnation, and guilt that we carry on a regular basis. That is not yours to carry. It was too much for you. It's why it crushed you. It's why it broke you. And it's why Jesus had to go to the cross because he was the only one who was able to carry it. He carried what we couldn't. Don't keep dragging around things that aren't yours to carry anymore. It's not humble, it's not healthy, it's not what Jesus intended for your life. Jesus wants you to come to him with gratitude Ask for forgiveness, experience love, experience forgiveness, and go and turn and give that to a world that is hungry for it as well. Because our world is being crushed under the weight of shame, guilt, and condemnation. And we are the ambassadors of Christ who get to say, This freedom that I feel is not my own doing. Let me show you where I got it. Are you living in victory over shame? Is that something you feel like you're currently experiencing? Or who do you need to ask forgiveness from? It's maybe something. You're forgiven by Jesus Christ. He's waiting for you. He wants you to drop those burdens at the cross. And he wants us to be in right relationship with each other. We don't need to hide from each other anymore because we all stand in the same footing before the cross. Are you aware of how much you've been forgiven? Because to the degree that you're aware of that, it's to the degree that you'll be able to love the world around you. You know, this is a prayer Sunday. <clears throat> As always, if you have questions, you can text me to Mark's phone. I'd be happy to answer them after the service. And this is a prayer Sunday. So if you are, feel like you're carrying a lot of weight this morning, you're feeling heavy, you feel like you need someone to just help carry that stuff to the cross before you, there's no shame. We all stand on the same footing before the cross there's people who'd love to pray for you for anything that you are carrying emotionally, anything physically, anything that you need to pray for, you just go right down the hallway and into the sanctuary, right? We're back in the sanctuary? Yep, so right here in the sanctuary. I'm gonna pray for us as the worship team comes back up. Lord God, I'm just so grateful that we are forgiven because of your great love for us. Lord, I confess that For too long and for too much of my life, I just carry around this weight that is too much for me to carry. I carry around the weight of my own shame. I carry around the weight of my own guilt and condemnation. Lord, I know that there are so many sitting here this morning who are feeling the same, just feeling burdened by the consequences of their actions, feeling burdened by the identity that they feel that they have linked their identity to to their actions. Lord, we ask you We ask you to come in and to just provide freedom. Lord, you already paved the way. You paid the the debt. You went to the cross for us. Lord, help people to learn how to live in victory, how to learn how to lay these things at your feet. Lord, help us to do this as a community, to be a community that sheds off this shame that we carry and that learns how to just live in forgiveness and to project love to the world around us. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name.